Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Next guest is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, and coach known as Jim Carrey with a PhD. He has spoken to over 3,500 audiences worldwide and authored 16 books, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. He, he coaches businesses, owners, entrepreneurs, and executives how to increase their income, freedom, and impact by creating engaging presentations. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Danny Brussell to the Misfit Nation show. Welcome, Danny. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Rich. And more importantly, thanks for spreading some joy in the world. We need a lot more positivity, and you're providing it in spades. I appreciate it. Awesome. I appreciate that. And thank you. Like we said in the pre-show, once I seen you were the Jim Carrey with the PhD, I had to say yes and get that match on pod match and get you on here. Uh, I mean, I just gave a little blurb about you there. If you want to give a little bit more as far back as you want to go to how do we got to where we are now, that'd be awesome. Well, I guess uh, the thing that I, I'm a jack of all trades, but the one thing that connects me is my mission, which is to bring the joy back into education, the workplace. I do that in four ways. I speak all around the world, primarily to schools, to convince teachers and principals not to quit. Uh, I have the world's top reading engagement program, which in over two, just over just over two months, I'll I'll show parents how to get their kids to read more, read better 
and most importantly, to love reading. I work with a wonderful company out of Ireland called Cyber Smarties, which is a social media platform for kids ages five to 12, which teaches kids positive social media habits. And then finally, and you had mentioned this, uh, I also train entrepreneurs, business executives, anybody interested in creating powerful presentations that get their audiences to take the next step with them. So that's me in a nutshell, Rich. Just a few things going on at once there. I mean, it's a yeah, yeah, lots of lots of stuff. <laughs> you hit one on the head there with uh, trying to keep teachers and principals from leaving the profession. As a husband of a teacher, I hear it every day. Uh, my wife used to love teaching and now she loathes teaching because of the climate in which it is now. And uh, yeah. I guess the politics are involved with teaching really have uh, killed the profession for her. Yeah, it's really one of the things I'm trying to kind of negate all of all over the place is uh, folks, we can we can disagree, but we don't have to be disagreeable. So I'm just trying to spread a little bit of kindness and teaching people how to respect one another. Again, you don't have to agree with everybody's viewpoint, but it, you, you should be respectful of different viewpoints. Plus, I love to surround myself with people that think differently than me because it gets me to think in different ways. I think we're stronger when we have those diverse opinions around us. It definitely does. And I believe it adds to the conversation. If we're all talking about the same thing the same way, it's kind of like a monotone. One of those old monotone movies you used to watch as a kid, black and white, wah, 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 and the whole time. And But if you have me and you in a room, we have difference of opinions, but we're cordial about it. It's still a great conversation because we're both hearing each other's opinions and vantage points of the same opinion. Because <laughs> in the end, we're all going for the same thing. Absolutely. Like, everyone to be successful, everyone to be happy. That's our goals in life. It, it's not to keep one part of the block down when the other block has good grass or whatever. You have to keep pushing everyone forward. Well, and you have to get me in touch with your wife, Rich, because I'm gonna I'm gonna get her so she starts getting to go to school rather than having to go to school. We got too many miserable people, and uh, you know, life's too short. I was watching a horrible show on TV last week called um, The News. And it put me in a very negative mindset. And I realized, you know what? I don't have time for that. I mean, yes, I think it's important to be informed. But how many of these things are completely out of your control? I mean, I can't deal with tornadoes in the South or earthquakes in Turkey. You know, and I feel total empathy for all those people. But it's just going to put me in a sad state of mind. I'd rather be – this is why I'm constantly watching – uh, inspirational uh, speakers. I listen to great podcasts like yours, uh, Rich, that are, are feeding my mind with positivity because uh, one of my friends, uh, Keith Harrell, who's no longer with us, uh, he had a great line. He used to say that a lot of people say garbage in, garbage out, but that's not true. Garbage in, garbage stays. And you know, you can also remedy that by always filling your mind with positive things. One of my mentors, Charlie Tremendous Jones, used to say, you're the same today as you will be in five years, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So make sure to surround yourself with people that lift you up and feed your mind with lots of uh, positive reading. So that's what I try to impart to all my audiences. That's awesome right there. And it's something we try to say here to keep you grow your inner circle and make sure they're pumping you up and you're pumping them up. Don't bring each other down. Don't just be a cheerleader for when it's good for you. Be a cheerleader at all times. No matter what your friends or friend or family is doing, cheer them on and and wish them the best and help them to succeed wherever they can. Don't be that that negative Nancy or Debbie Downer that tries to pull everyone down and because they're not doing something they want to do, so they try to bring you down. And I think the inner circle is where all that starts. That's right. Absolutely. I, amen. You got me. I'm a Baptist in your front row. <laughs> <laughs> 
Amen. There it is. <laughs> uh, I know on your bio, the first question is, why don't people read? And I know that's a big thing for you reading. And reading is, uh, we used to watch the commercial, reading is fundamental, uh, RAF, as a kid. And, uh, and I thought it, I thought reading was cool. And for years, my wife didn't think I read at all because I was in the Army. So she thought I just went out to the Army stuff mm -hmm. all the time. I just absorbed knowledge, I guess. I don't know. But I was reading all the time. And when I would buy books, so why are you buying a book? I said, because I read them. That's, what, that's how I do it. And but actually, a lot of the troops, a lot of troops read more than uh, most of the teachers I know. So I, I would, I would debate your wife on that one. <laughs> oh, I did, and I'd, I'd sit and you know, I'd sit and read, and then I'd, I'd finish a book and hand it to her. You want to read? Oh, I don't have time. Oh, well, now who's not reading? All right, but why don't people read? Yeah, well, that's great. I appreciate that question, Rich. I mean, it's ironic. I'm now considered America's leading reading ambassador because I grew up hating reading. My father was a librarian and I always hated the library growing up. It always smelled funny to me. There was always uncomfortable furniture. There was always an elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There was always some freaky homeless guy I thought he was a vampire hanging out in the library. I always hated the public <laughs> library. It wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city in South Central Los Angeles where I saw a lot of my students didn't have a lot of the advantages I had growing up, Rich. And I said, shame on me. I mean, I was blessed. Both of my parents were in the home. We weren't wealthy at all, but we always had food on the table. Uh, and my parents always read in front of us kids, to us kids, and we had plenty of access to reading materials. And so the, the argument I make all the time is that I think schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, well, what good is it teaching a, a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go turn on the TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I've never had to, I never really want to tell a kid, hey, go read something. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they think it's fun. And so there's all kinds of strategies I train uh, parents and, and teachers on how to get kids to love reading. And really, it's not just the kids. It's it's a lot of the adults I talk to. They don't read anything. And I realize they never were taught the right way. I mean, they were forced to read. You know, uh, I remember in high school, I was uh, I had a teacher. She forced us to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And no offense to people that love The Scarlet Letter. But the, the book is the story of Hester Prynne commits adultery, and so she's forced to wear an A on her chest. And I raised my hand in class, and I asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that book. And this is what I want everybody listening to understand. Our research is very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. And here's a tip for all those parents of boys that the little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to become a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare, but we got to get the kid hooked on it first. And so that's a very long answer to your short question. But the reason most people don't read is because nobody ever showed them the joy of reading. That's what I try to spread around uh, the world. Exactly. And when you said Scarlet Letter, it made me think of the movie Easy A, a movie me and my daughter watch and laugh about all the time. And uh, when you, you even went through the A on the chest, that, that flashed before my eyes. The book in high school that stuck out to me was always uh, Animal Farm or 1984. Yeah. You must read these two. And uh, so they're great. They're awesome books. And 
and my daughter had to read them in high school. I said, I wish I kept my copy. I have no idea where it is. It's probably buried yeah. in the basement somewhere in New Jersey. But it was a book. I always remembered it, though, because I had to read it. I had to read it, so I remembered everything in that book. And I always think about Big Brother watching all the time. Mm -hmm. So that, that stayed in my mind forever. So I guess that helped me, and the nun hitting me probably helped me, too. <laughs> I, I've got the welts from the nuns as well. We're in that same club <laughs> together, Rich. <laughs> It's not carpal tunnel. It's it's a brass ruler. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a mark of love, I guess. Yes. And I think uh, reading is is very key to a lot of things in life as well. If you had talked to, if you think of General Jim Mattis, he reads a hundred books a year. <laughs> Amazing leader. Why do you think reading is important as a leader? Well, that's that's a wonderful example you just gave, Rich. I mean, the generals. I mean, you talk to any of these generals. Uh, I remember General Schwarzkopf. He could he could read in four languages and quote Shakespeare with no problem. I mean, these are you know General Patton. Like he read nothing but military books. He was just. Uh, I mean, Eisenhower was the same way. Uh, you know, people forget that uh, before he became president of the United States, he went to West Point. And uh, he was really self-educated in Kansas. I just read a biography on him that was amazing. I didn't realize that Eisenhower was the chief of staff to uh, General MacArthur, and then he wound up becoming the boss of General MacArthur. It's fascinating to me. Um, you know, but it's not just in the military. I mean, business leaders, uh, Elon Musk is, is said to still read at least one book a day. Uh, he was bullied as a teenager, and so he spent all of his time in the library, and after he read all the books in the library, he went to the bookstore and started reading those books. Uh, um, you know, you look at entertainment, uh, any of these uh, actors that you wanna uh, talk to, they're all reading scripts constantly. Uh, Bill Belichick in sports, the football coach, uh, the winningest, uh, well, not yet the winningest, but he soon to be the winningest NFL coach in history, but definitely the the most awarded for Super Bowls. He he actually has the most extensive uh, library of football related books. Uh, I think he don donated them to either uh, his alma mater or his father was a coach at uh, the Naval Academy. He may have donated them all to the Naval Academy. Um, I could have kissed LeBron James uh, when he was playing for the Miami Heat. ABC showed him in the locker room before the NBA finals, and he was sitting there reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. I'm like, dude, you just did more to get kids excited about reading than I'll do in my entire lifetime. And so, you know, you and I are readers, Rich. I always tell people there are plenty of readers that don't necessarily become leaders, but I have never, ever read about an effective leader who was not also an avid reader. I mean, a lot of people forget this. Um, when Kennedy was president, uh, he was at a press conference and somebody asked him uh, what he was reading. And he said, oh, I'm reading this great little spy novel by Ian Fleming about this uh, guy named James Bond. That comment got MGM to buy the rights to the James Bond franchise. And that's why we have the James Bond movies. Uh, you know, President Clinton, <laughs> President Clinton was always reading mysteries to, to get his mind off a lot of the problems. And the, it's fascinating when you read about all these leaders. I mean, you look at Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett spends his entire day just sitting there reading. He's reading like the kind of stuff I'm not interested in, which would be like stock reports and things like that. So that's also reading. You know, that's every, I always tell people that. I mean, tell this to your wife. You know, reading doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, um, a, a Jane Austen novel. Reading can be 
an, an army manual. Reading can be uh, reading a, a sports article in the newspaper. There's lots of different definitions for reading. And so that's what I always tell people is, you know, we have to expand that definition. Uh, <laughs> here I am Mr. Reading, but I'm not very good at technical reading. I still can't program my VCR or anything like that. <laughs> so, I mean, there's lots of different types of reading and, um, I, 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 I've seen it in all fields. It's the leaders in any field, they are avid readers. Definitely. And uh, you talk about the VCR. Usually when I get a new piece of equipment, I look at the picture. <laughs> I look at the picture first because I know the writing is going to be real small. It'll be hard to read anyway. So I look at the picture. So I can figure this wiring diagram out. And then I have to either download it somewhere so I can read it actually or get it in a, a better verse so I can actually understand it. That way, uh, you're, just, you're just like me, Rich. My wife, uh, I'll, I'll be doing trainings for parents and uh, on how to get their kids reading. And so uh, I always get the question, well, Danny, what do you think, physical books or e-books? And my answer is always yes. You know, I'm old school. I like having a physical book in my hands. It's just something I do. But I can make my, my, my wife, she loves her Kindle. And so I'll give you three arguments for why Kindle's great. So... Uh, my wife is from Singapore, and every other year we have to fly to Singapore. And so while I'm loading 20 books into my luggage, she's loading a little one, one and a half pound Kindle that has access to the entire library of the world. Uh, secondly, we both like to read in bed, and it drives her crazy because I always have to have my lamp on, whereas her Kindle illuminates itself, no problem. And then third, and you already touched upon it, uh, and I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm getting older. It's very difficult for me to read some of the text in some of these books. Well, the Kindle's great because you can adjust the font size to make it big for a blind person like me. So, uh, again, different strokes for different folks. There's different types of reading. And you're still reading no matter which way you look at it. So Absolutely. Just like another thing I probably notice your wife every time you turn a page when you're in the bed. <laughs> 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 so they, they always look for little things to put little check marks next to why they get angry mm -hmm. get annoyed with us and that's one of them too i bet <laughs> you and i need to I, I i need to meet you in person rich i, I will buy you a, a libation of choice and we will discuss uh our, our similarities <laughs> outstanding that'd be awesome <laughs> How do we get people to develop these positive traits to just sit down and read again and not be thinking that they have to, but they want to? Yeah, there's all kinds of easy strategies that we can use. So I, I've always taught in the inner city. And so I'll work often with parents that say, oh, I have nothing to read at home. I don't have the money. And I say, oh, but you do. President Bush Sr. over 30 years ago signed a very important law in the United States that said every television set sold in America has to have closed captioning. So the first tip I always give to parents is turn on the closed captioning on the television. And I always have parents say, well, wait a second, if the show is in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point, but let me make a point. Have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain's actually directed towards the text, and there's actually research to support this. If you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet except for one. The country where kids watch the most TV also has the highest reading scores in the world. It's Finland. And wow. people always ask me, well, how can that be, Danny? I'm like, well because Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they have to do is they have to import all these old American sitcoms like the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island, and they 
have finished sub subtitles, the kids are reading all the time. So that's a quick strategy I give to all parents. Turn on the subtitles. Um, there's habits that for the parents of, of newborns out there, there's, there's little habits you can establish with your kids. So I have three kids of my own and I have a feeling television is here to stay, Rich. And I don't, I don't fear technology. I try to embrace technology and figure out how to use it to my advantage. And so uh, the habit I established with my kids when they were very young is they can watch TV, but the price of admission is they have to bring me something to read. And so when they were little, the kids would always bring me picture books and we'd read a picture book together. Uh, now all three of them are teenagers. I have a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 14-year-old. And so now they'll bring me typically their iPad with some silly article that they found online, and we'll read that together. So that's a quick little uh, habit you can do. Um, I have specific books with all of my kids and my wife that we read. So my my oldest daughter, she likes um, she likes Game of Thrones, and so we're reading the, uh, the George R.R. R. Martin book. Um, gosh, the name escapes me. It's like Wind and Fire or something something in fire uh so we've been reading that book together my son he's all into military stuff and so uh right now we're reading this cool biography of this uh british general from world war one and world war ii his name is sir adrian de weort cartone guys like missing an eye missing a hand he got wounded in like 14 battles it's kind of fascinating that's what he's into and then my youngest daughter for some reason she's into literature and so we're reading oliver twist by charles dickens which i don't recommend anybody read aloud it's the most difficult first of all it's so difficult because there's so much cockney in the book and second of all I'm, I'm reading it and I realize how stupid humans have gotten because I need a dictionary on almost every sentence I'm like oh my gosh it's so advanced and then um, here, here I, I'm going to give you uh, some a tip to score some points with your wife, Rich. Uh, I also uh, read in bed with my wife, and so she was into the uh, Outlander books by uh, uh, Diana um, Gabaldon, I think is her last name. Diana, uh, yeah, Diana Gabaldon. Uh, the Outlander books she liked, and now we're reading this cool series of books. I actually really enjoy them. It's called The Unselected. Journals of Emma M. Lyon by Beth Brower. There's six of them. They're all really short and, and they're just delightful to read. I actually really enjoy them. So, you know, that's time well spent. Like uh, I used to have a, a nonprofit called Real Dads Read and I would challenge all the dads. I'm like, hey, dad, you want to know why your kid likes football so much? Because that's the only time you spend with them. If you spent your time reading with them, they'd be into reading. I mean, kids are paying attention to us all the time. They're watching us. And, uh, you know, I'm very cognizant of that. Whenever I'm speaking to audiences, I say, no matter what you do, you're always a teacher and a role model. Kids are watching. Actually, everybody's watching us all the time. It's actually been my theme for 2023 has been uh, I want to turn my Christianity from a noun into a verb. <laughs> oh. Good luck. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody says they're Christian and they catch you off on the freeway. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit kinder to people and a little bit more considerate. <laughs> Give you the finger. Yeah, exactly. Push out in line in Walmart and tell you you're a Christian. I say, All right. Awesome. Thanks. Me too. That is absolutely right. My goodness. So you also help executives and business leaders. Uh, how do you approach them and how do you help them with their businesses? 
Yeah, so the most important thing for most business leaders, I always say that speaking is the fastest way to grow your business. Now, while a lot of people that are business owners, they're spending all kinds of money on Facebook ads, they have no idea how those work. I'm like, actually, if we can get you to become a, a, a good speaker, people will actually pay you for you to advertise your business on their stage. And so the most critical questions that people have to ask before they give any kind of presentation, and this, this is whether you're speaking in front of a, a boardroom or a ballroom to one person or a thousand people, you need to be able to ask yourself two questions. First of all, who is your audience? And then second, what is the problem you solve for your audience? If you can answer both of those questions, well, you have a pretty good business. You're on mission, you understand your purpose, but if you don't understand the answer to both of those questions, it's going to be very tricky for you to get people to take what I call the next step. Now, the next step, if you're a business person, could be uh, to purchase your product or to buy your coaching program. Uh, but, you know, I'll work with uh, people that run nonprofits. And so the next step is to donate to your charity or if I'm working with a pastor to tithe in your church. Uh, and then some people, they still don't know exactly what they want the audience to do. And so I say, well, that's fine. You don't always have to have a paid offer. An unpaid offer is just as well. So you can collect uh, your audience's contact information, their name, email, maybe a phone number. And so you can stay in touch with those people. And then eventually, maybe a year down the road, you'll figure out what you want to do at least you have uh that list you know it's like in schindler's list the list is everything you know being able to stay in touch with people is critical and basically i teach people uh depending on what their time constraints are whether it's a day or two days or ongoing i'll, I'll show them how to craft a presentation where they're able to connect with their audience they're able to to teach a little bit of content but most importantly they have a call to action that encourages people to take the next step and there's ways to do that in your presentation where you're serving your audience rather than acting all salesy and selling your audience i i always a lot of these presentations i go to i feel like i have to take a shower afterwards i'm like Ugh, the person didn't teach me anything and they were selling me the whole time and I think you have a responsibility when you're on a stage. If people are, I mean, this is what I love about your podcast, Rich, is, I mean, there's a lot of people hurting out there. I mean, right. people that actually look like they're together and they're not together. And I think it's my responsibility to serve those people. My Whether they do business with me or not, that doesn't matter. I need to make sure that they leave with some tools that can help them. Uh, succeed. I mean, you, you offer that at the beginning of this podcast. I mean, the suicide hotlines, I was just looking at statistics in this country. It's crazy. I had no idea that 60% of the gun deaths in this country were suicides. But I was like, oh my goodness. It's horrible. I just saw a number. This will floor you, Rich, because, you know, once again, it seems like it's every week now, but there was another school shooting and I was just reading statistics. We've lost more last year, last year, more kids were shot in American schools than the a number of American troops killed in hostilities in 2020 and 2021 combined. Definitely. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. This is why your wife is stressed is because, you know, you shouldn't be stressed to go to a, a, an elementary school. You know, uh, you're not you're not there trained for combat, whereas in the military, you are trained. And I mean, my brother's in the Air Force and we went out to a diner and he was wearing his uniform and uh, uh, the waitress, she she comped his meal and said, thank you for your service. And I'm like, where's my free meal? I've had more weapons drawn on me than he's ever had drawn on <laughs>
It's not <laughs> I'm not disparaging the military. I'm saying it's despicable that our schools are unsafe. It's crazy. I, we don't have conversations in this country. I'm like, let's figure out how to stop that. <laughs> the incident yesterday was only about 40 minutes from here, so it, it hit home pretty quickly here. Isn't that uh, crazy? I don't, just, I, I don't watch the news uh, shows ever, and yesterday I had to because I heard it. So I said, I got to see this, see what's exactly where it is and what's happening. And it was, it was nuts. And uh, yeah. the world the world we live in is a lot different than it was when we were growing up. You know, if you have a disagreement, you either argue about it, you fight with your fists. Now the first thing you want to do is, for whatever reason, go shoot three nine-year-olds. And it uh, makes no sense whatsoever. But I digress. They do, they do. Every 10 years, there's a poll about American teachers' biggest fear. And in 1950, the biggest fear of teachers was students not raising their hands. And <laughs> 70 years later, 2020, it was a mass school shooting. I'm like, wow. That's something happened. Wow. <laughs> gosh, that's crazy. Well, we'll see. We'll see how we, uh, how we wind up, how we can uh, clean this up and uh, make it better. Yeah. Uh, a book for your military-minded uh, son there, The Outpost by Jack Tapper. Great book. It's uh, current events, basically. Two Medal of Honor recipients are in that book. Uh, Roma Shaw and Carter are both in that book and that platoon, so it's a great read. Oh, I will definitely. Well, and I'm going to get, if we're going to play that game, I'm going to go right back at you. One of the All best right. books I've ever read, I just read to him. Have you ever read The Killer Angels by Michael Shira? No. Oh, oh, no. Okay. Rich, you'll thank me for this one. So, the Killer Angels by Michael Sherratt won the Pulitzer Prize in 1973. And it's about the Battle of Gettysburg. And if if a high school teacher had handed me this book, I would have been a history major in college. It's, it's about the Battle of Gettysburg. And uh, each chapter is written from points of view of, of Southern generals and soldiers and Northern um, uh, soldiers and generals. And... What's amazing about the book is I think Abraham Lincoln's name is mentioned exactly once. And you get into the minds of these soldiers. There's uh, uh, have you ever heard of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain? Yes. OK, so you've heard of him. I consider myself an educated person. I've never heard of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain before reading this book. So Chamberlain was a, uh, a professor at Bowdoin College in, in Maine. And he decided when the Civil War happened, he was going to enlist. And so he was put second in command of a platoon. And right before the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, his commanding officer is promoted. And so he's put in charge of his uh, platoon. And the first order he's given is there's 130 Irish deserters. And he's, he's ordered to execute them. Well, Chamberlain, he looks at these 130 guys and he gives them a King Henry V speech. I mean, uh, he's like, you know, they want me to execute you. I'm not killing anybody. He's like... But I'll tell you right now, I think this is the battle that wins this war. And I want to be able to tell my grandkids I was in this battle. I mean, I was ready to fight after listening to this speech. Well, out of the 130 Irishmen, 124 decide they'll, they'll fight with him. And so he's on this uh, little round top, I think is the name of the hill. And his job, his little platoon, he's got like 300 men and they have to hold the flank. Now, you're military. You're smarter than I am. I know what hold the flank means. It's basically... The South is going to be charging him, and if, if his guys go down, they've exposed the entire uh, backside of the Northern Army. And so he's got like 300 guys. There's 9,000 Southerners attacking him. All of his guys are down to their, their last shot, and they look to Chamberlain for an order, and Chamberlain takes out his saber, and he says, bayonets. And all these guys are pumped on adrenaline, so they put on their bayonets, and he's like, charge! 
This is a true story. 300 guys charge towards 9,000 Southerners and the Southerners surrender. This is a true story in the Civil War. I was like, oh my gosh. And in the process, he shot in the, in the leg. And so the next chapter, it's from the point of view of um, General Hancock for the North. And Hancock, he's like, who the heck is this Chamberlain guy? That's amazing. I need to meet this guy. And so he meets Chamberlain and Chamberlain's like, oh, you know, ready, ready for duty, General. And, and Hancock's like, no, man, you, you did your part in this war. You know, they're going to attack us from the front to the back, but we're going to keep you and your men safe right here in the middle. And so the next chapter is General Longstreet from the South. And Longstreet's talking to General Lee, the Southern commander. And Longstreet's like, what's the order, General? And Lee looks at him. He's like, you know what? I bet you they think we're going to come from the front or the back. Let's go right for the middle where Chamberlain is. <laughs> Chamberlain, who I had never heard of before this war, he's part of both of the most important battles at Gettysburg. He's completely outmatched in both of them, and he wins both battles. And then at the end of the book, it's amazing. So there's like a little paragraph about what happened to every single person. Uh, I mean, the book was so well written. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, General Lee, he truly was like this amazing general. I'm like, how, how oh, like if he had the resources, it would have been no contest. But, um, but it tells you about Chamberlain, who, again, I've never heard of Chamberlain. So it's like, oh, Chamberlain, he wound up fighting in seven more battles. He was wounded in all seven battles. He impressed General Grant so much that Grant asked him to accept the South's surrender at Appomattox Courthouse. And Chamberlain endeared himself to the South forever by ordering the Northern troops to salute their Southern brothers. How cool is that? I mean, that's like the most gracious thing I've ever heard of. So then he goes back to Maine. He becomes president of Bowdoin College. He's elected governor of Maine four times, never by less than 80% of the vote. The guy should be on currency. I've never even heard of him. So Killer Angels by Michael Chira is, I mean, and his son Jeff now, he, Michael had passed away. So his son wrote a prequel and a sequel. Um, Gods and Generals is a sequel. Um, I can't remember the name of the pre The prequel is really good because it, it features Stonewall Jackson, who was just a stunt. I had no idea Stonewall Jackson was killed by his own troops. I'm like, oh, you just killed your best general. Uh, but if you're into kind of military, but I've, I've actually recommended this book, Rich, to over a thousand people of all ages, ethnicities, you name it. And all of them would tell me, oh, this is one of the five best books I've ever read. And actually, I read an interview with Laura Hillenbrand, who wrote Seabiscuit. And in the interview, she said, oh, I never knew how to write Seabiscuit until I wrote The Killer Angels. And it taught me how to teach history in an interest, interesting way through different points of view. And so that's how we get Seabiscuit. So uh, wonderful, wonderful book. Absolutely love awesome. it. That's awesome. I'm going to have to look that up right after this. Uh, have my wife... Uh, Forward me money for my Amazon account, so I'll be good and get the money to do this thing. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> Danny, it's been great chatting with you. I want you to give the top three books that will get people back interested in reading today. Holy cow! Well, I love uh, for for kids uh, the Diary of the Wimpy Kids series are just wonderful. Kids love those; they're very easy to read. They're funny. Uh, they're teen. You know, the problem with if you ever read a lot of teenager books, most of them are about like dystopian society and date rape. And, and I'm like, no wonder teenagers are screwed up. Give them something positive to read. So I love the Diary of the Wimpy Kid series by Jeff Kinney. Um, I love um, 
the first book to make me laugh out loud was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Again, it's a short book. It's maybe 160 pages. But I was actually, I'd have to stop almost every page because I was laughing so hard at some of the things he wrote. I like funny books. Um, oh, and then just to show everybody I have a heart, I'll give you, a, it's going to sound silly, but for some reason, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, you know, it's one of those books where you look at Atticus Finch is such a great role model and Scout is such a fun character. It's so well written. Uh, it's a beautiful book and I, it's silly that I like it so much, but I just love To Kill a Mockingbird. So there's there's three for you, but it, it, you can have, uh, if people go to lazyreaders.com, that's one of my websites. It's one of the top book clubs online. Uh, every month for the rest of your life, I update it with 10 book recommendations, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages. So you have something you can read when you're stuck in a boring meeting. Uh, the other website I actually want to, to give your audience for bearing with me today, uh, Rich, is uh, uh, freegiftfromdanny.com. If you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a couple of goodies. First of all, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates the same concept, you read that in five minutes. And then I'm also gonna give everybody access to a five day reading challenge I did online last summer for about 700 parents around the world, where every day for an hour, I'm gonna give you all kinds of tips to get your kids excited about reading, because the more excited we get kids to read, the more likely they are to read, and the more they read, the better they get. You can get both of those free gift from Danny.com. I just really appreciate all that you do, Rich, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, no problem. Thank you for making me. You did make me laugh like you promised throughout the sure. show. I think we laughed together, so it was good. And uh, thanks for the recommendations. I will definitely check that out right after we're done recording here. And, uh, again, thanks for being on. I'll probably have you on again just to make me laugh. Well, and I'm going to have to get you that libation because you're right down the road. My, my sister's in Franklin, Tennessee, so uh, right. we'll, we'll have to make a trip out of it. <laughs> awesome. Just, just email me, let me know, and we'll call and get it going. It's a date. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always. Be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling, because we are.